friends and welcome to Create Connect Cast number four in April 2021. Today we are concluding a conversation with Danny who is a veteran husband and soon-to-be father currently pursuing a medical degree. We'll be discussing adjustment from war zone back to regular life, adjustment from singleness to marriage, and many things in between. I would strongly encourage you to listen to part one of our conversation if you have not done so already. But as always, I hope you enjoy. What would you say was one of the most difficult things you experienced in Afghanistan? So in this particular day, um, our my platoon had a patrol and they went out on a foot patrol and we stayed back as medical recovery, me and my squad essentially. Or at least, yeah, I, I had a team of guys with me. And so, uh, so you know, we're doing Overwatch for them and just kind of hanging out. And a call comes over the radio about an hour later. Second platoon. So I was first platoon, second platoon. So each platoon's roughly 30, 30-ish guys. Um, and we're all in a company where there's uh, three to four platoons, right? So, uh, so second platoon takes an IED hit. And um, so we get called out to go help them recover. And we get there and this truck is on its side. It's in flames. And they, as we got there, they had just been able to pull the, the truck and get it upright. And, uh, you know, that momentarily at least was like a huge victory for everyone. everyone's cheering. And, you know, guys are out there that all their body armor's off, their helmets are off, their rifles are down. Everybody's just trying to get these flames out. And, you know, we've got, ill-prepared trucks the fire extinguishers either aren't working or the trucks didn't have them or they're just not enough to put out the flames so i mean it got to the point where everybody's taking water bottles and trying to put these flames out and you know we're, we're in the middle of Afghanistan, uh, like we're just open target for anything yeah. and the reality is they're probably just sitting there laughing at us i mean the, the ied that took this truck out was absolutely massive the crater that was left was just one of the biggest so you know there was a recovery team that came afterwards to essentially take the truck away, right? Break down the truck and, and do everything to it. And they were like, this is the biggest crater we've seen in Afghanistan. Like we've never seen anything like this before. Yeah, we ended up losing three guys that day. Uh, and then one of the guys, he ended up going to the hospital back in the States and died uh, just a couple months later. So yeah, that was... Uh, were these people that you knew personally? Yeah. Or... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So one of them was, uh, was Sergeant Corley and he was the second platoon sergeant. Um, so we, we all knew each other cause we're all in the same company. So you have the platoon yeah. the company is kind of that, that unit, you know? And so, uh, yeah. So Sergeant Corley, uh, you know, he passed away. He was up in the front seat as the truck commander. Yeah, that was, that was difficult. I, I don't know how much detail we want to go into on that, but it was, um, yeah, I stayed, I stayed around throughout the entirety of it. Uh, the rest of second platoon left because they had just lost three, uh, I'd say four of their favorite guys. You know, there was Lumley who was lovable private. He was in the driver's seat. Him and Corley were sitting next to each other and both essentially burned to death in the front seat. Uh, that's actually exactly what happened. Um, and then there was Doc Acosta, who, you know, all, we, we loved all of our medics. Acosta was something special, very popular guy. 
yeah, and then there was Mayberry, who uh, I loved Mayberry. He was a good guy. I remember that. <laughs> I I was I was the sergeant in charge when we were so we we picked up some some detainees. We'll just say that we picked up some detainees, and so then they needed somebody to go escort them on a helicopter ride back to the main base, um, so they could go through some processing. And so I went with one of my soldiers, uh, and then also uh, Mayberry was there, um, and he was tough. He was a tough kid. He's a good kid, great soldier, and. Uh, his wife was stationed at that other base. And so he looks at me, he's like, Hey Sarge, uh, I'm staying here. And as if, you know, cause I mean, I'm, I'm the NCO in charge at this point. <laughs> you know, I kind of look at him. He's like, sorry, my, my wife's here. He's like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go sleep with my wife. And I looked at him and he said, go ahead, Sarge, test my gangster. <laughs> and I just, you know, it was, oh, man. you kind of had to be there, but it was hilarious. You know, he was just, yeah. you no, know, he's a good kid. Yeah. And so that was, that was, you know, shortly before actually this happened. And, uh, you know, so yeah, for that, you know, I'm thankful he got to spend some time with his wife, um, prior to this, but yeah, so it was heartbreaking, man. You know? Yeah, it was, it was heartbreaking. I mean, I could probably talk through all the details and it wouldn't bother me too bad anymore. Cause I've, I've gone through it so many times where before it would choke me up real bad. And, and now it's, you know, it's just kind of, you're just speaking somewhat matter of factly, not that there's no emotion, but it's not quite as strong, I guess, but but yeah, you when, know, it, it was, it was, when it was in the moment, was it something that you just didn't get to really fully process? Yeah, no, no. You're, you're just you're just there trying to do the best thing you can, you know. And so second platoon, the rest of second platoon goes back to base, and you know they're just they're going through it. You know they couldn't save their guys, and and they're really having a hard time, and you know they are. And so the best thing you can do is just stick around. So first platoon sticks around and you know maintains security, uh, which is what we did, and then you know the guys the two guys that were left in the truck because we just couldn't get them out. We ended up, you know, once the flames are out, then you pull them out and, you know, you're, you're pulling out bones essentially at that point. And, uh, it's heartbreaking, man. Cause you, 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 you see something, you see a face that you should recognize and you know whose it is, but you don't recognize it. And it's something that we really associate, you know, we, we, we read people based on that through smiles and through crying and through anger and, Everything that we read about a human is is on the face, you know, for the most part. Um, I'd say the, the vast majority of it anyway. Obviously, there's other uh, nonverbal cues that we can get from, you know, other forms of body language. But primarily... Yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, so, sorry. Uh, so, you know, w- when you see a distortion to that, it, I think it really just does something to the psyche. It really plays on the... It really plays with, with someone um, I, I, more than anything. You know, I've seen amput- uh, amputations. I've seen all sorts of other stuff, you know, but something about the face when, when something happens that it really, it really plays with you. And I think that's, that's what stuck with me for a long time was, was seeing that, you know, something that I should have recognized. And I, and I did, I, there was some similarity there, but it wasn't, it wasn't quite, you know, and, and you could still see expression on the face, which was really odd, uh, in a lot of ways. And again, I, you know, I don't want to get too morbid for your, your podcast. So I apologize if that's happening, but no, not at all. I think, um, I think there are interesting points here that really, uh, you know, you could you could dive into that and really pull extract a lot out of that. What I kind of wanted to get to a little bit was so you're not really able to process that so much in the moment because you still got to keep doing your job and you got to keep living your day to day life. So you you finally walk away from that situation and you've at this point lost numerous friends you've seen them marred in ways that make them unrecognizable 
uh, now you're trying to just go back to, oh, I'm going to the grocery store and hanging out with regular civilian people. What was that transition like? Yeah, that was horrible. Um, it sucked. I hated it. Honestly, I hated it. I, I, it was one of the harder times of my life. You know, I've, and we've talked about this before too. I, I've always felt, uh, slightly misunderstood. You know, I, I always felt, and, and I guess the, the beginning of this kind of plays into that as well. I've, I've always tried to be something to try to be accepted and always felt that, I, you know, me just being me wasn't acceptable, you know, and, and fitting in was yeah. kind of hard. And you come home with experiences like that. And, you know, when you talk to people, what do you talk about? When you talk about what's fresh on your mind, you know, you, you talk about the things that you know and that you do and that you're into at the time. You know, if you're into cryptocurrency, you're talking about crypto all the time, if you're whatever it is. And so, you know, that that's 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 what was on my mind. And so what do I talk about? You know, I have nothing to talk about. And, and when people ask, you know, Hey, how was it over there? You know, they find out you're a veteran and then you kind of tell them a little bit and then they look at you like you're a freak, you know? And I know that that's not what they're thinking, but they just don't know how to process. Well, it's shocking, right? Yeah. I mean, how do you yeah. do with that? If you haven't been through it yourself, what do you say to someone that's going through that? Like, Hey, uh, you know, better luck next time. I, you know, it's like, what do you say? And it's like, you know, but you, you don't always recognize that in the moment. You just feel, you feel rejected, you know, for, for, for trying to get help in a way, you know, it's like you're trying to open up to people the best way you know how, cause you know, I, uh, I have a good friend of mine, um, actually got married in her backyard and she, she works in the, the field of psychology. She's one of those that was born to be a therapist. Right. And so the whole time knowing her, you know, she's always warning me and telling me about these things and, Hey, you need to open up about this. You need to talk about this. You need to get help when you get back, you know? So I, I knew that. And so I tried to do that and it just, it, it initially it was just horrible. You know, I had a girlfriend at the time. It was not a healthy relationship. And initially she was the only one that I really opened up to in any meaningful way without just saying something matter of factly, right. Without just saying it like, yeah, so how was it? Oh, you know, this, how, whatever. I, I don't know, man. It was, you know, I opened up to her and, and uh, she couldn't handle it and like understandably, yeah. oh, I never should have put that on her in the first place. But, um, you know, when she left, she just left like if she was gone, you know, it was that was it. She was gone. You know, I just it went from basically almost living together at this point to uh, barely answering text messages, you know, definitely not answering phone calls. So there was no I. I, I I didn't hear her voice. I didn't see her face. I didn't, you know, nothing. She was just gone. And, you know, my, my family, one, didn't really understand. I hadn't really been able to open up to them. And, you know, my, my dad was, uh, you know, not to rag on him by any means. He just, he didn't know either. He, he just, you know, he, his form of support was to crack jokes about it. You know, <laughs> I just wasn't having that. Yeah. So, so yeah, uh, a lot of people aren't, aren't well equipped to really, engage with trauma uh would you say there were any sort of resources that were offered to you by the military or was it something that you had to go discover elsewhere in terms of coming back into life and maybe even finding a way through some of these horrific uh experiences yeah so the breakup with my ex was somewhat of the catalyst to this so um you know she kept telling me i needed to go get help and, um, you know, she'd seen me at some freak out moments and, 
Uh, I didn't do it. And then when we broke up, I finally did it. And so, all right, well, that's yeah, silver know, lining. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, thank God for that. Literally. I mean, I, yeah. So I was at the lowest of the low. And so I, I show up and I still remember the room. I still remember the guy and I still remember the girl and I'm sitting in this office and the guy's just kind of doing the, the preliminary sort of interview and he's asking me questions and I'm, you know, opening up about stuff and crying a little bit. This is, this is literally exactly what happened. I'm sitting there and, and he's highly empathetic. You know, he's looking at me and he's literally saying this, of course, why wouldn't it hurt? Right. Why, why wouldn't it hurt? This should hurt, you know, and, and really just kind of being there. And then the girl looks at me, right. She's, I'm guessing, uh, doing some sort of like intern rotation and looks at me. And she's like, I've seen worse. <laughs> Like, oh, I'm like, if you were a dude, like this would be a different scenario. Now, like, I was, I was upset, you know, to say the least. And uh, yeah, whatever. But at, at the same time, I kind of knew she was right. You know, I, I definitely was handling it better than some, and I knew that for a fact because I had a. Oh, so more them. like she'd seen people in a worse state over yeah. what they went through compared yeah. to you. So it was yeah. almost trying to be encouraging, but it was also like dismissive at the same time. Uh. I don't think it was to be encouraging because she didn't say it to me. <laughs> she said it to the other guy that the, the but right in front of your face, right in front of my face. So it was definitely, yeah. So I was, I was like, wow. Okay. So, uh, you know, whatever I, I, I wasn't, I was just going through a hard time, you know? And so, uh, but you know, I, I remember going through it and you know, the first thing they want to do, cause they're, they're psychiatrists, not, not psychologists. Right. So these have, these people have med school, uh, under their belt and they prescribe medications and that's what they do. And that's exactly what they tried to do. And I told them, I said, look, here's the deal. I am not the type of guy that first off, I'm not seeking drugs. Not only am I not seeking drugs, I will not take your drugs. I do not want a quick fix. I do not want a cover up. I don't want a bandaid. I want tools. I'm a hard worker and I will crush this. You just have to give me the tools to do it. Those were like almost exactly my words. And I said, I told him too, I said, look, if you offer me drugs, I will leave this place. If I shoot myself later on, my blood is on your hands because I asked you for tools and I asked you for help and all you did was offer me drugs. Because, you know, this is actually right after he'd offered me <laughs> drugs. You know, he wanted to put me on anti-anxiety and antidepressants. And I said, I'm, I won't take them. I won't do it. I don't want that. That's not the life I want to live. Because, you know, right around that time, my squad leader uh, had tried to kill himself. And he was on all sorts of antidepressants and all sorts of crazy, crazy stuff. And he tried to OD on that while simultaneously slitting his wrists. And, you know, mm. this reality of what a lot of these guys go through when they come home, especially when they get put on these antipsychotics and stuff like that, that, you know, in the, in the time that they're trying to figure out the dosage can make things a lot worse. Um, I know it can help some people, but you know, not everybody has the same reactions, especially if, and he was a drinker, especially if they're drinkers. You know, if you start mixing those those two things, which gets real dangerous real fast. Yep. Yeah. And it's like you're taking someone who's depressed, who's drinking to cover up their depression, uh, who before that just drink for fun. And then you're giving them, you know, uh, whatever antipsychotics and saying, OK, now don't drink with these. Yeah. OK, buddy. Like, sure thing. Whatever. Yeah. You Anti-anxiety medication is a real thing, too, where it gets amplified so heavily by alcohol as well. Yeah. So it's, it's actually pretty scary. And so, um, he was pretty cool about it. He, you know, kind of gave me the nod, like, okay, let's do this then. And so, uh, I did a little bit of therapy and, and most of it was, 
you know, hey, write down your experience and talk about your experience enough times until it becomes numb. And huh. there's probably some some merit to that. It probably works to some degree, but um, you know, I, I did a few sessions and just said, you know what, this is stupid. I don't want to do this anymore. You know, this isn't this 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 isn't how I want to. Pro- I don't want to just you know go numb to it. I want to I want to analyze it. I want to think about it. I want to go through it and understand what's going on with my body and my mind. And did you end up finding better like cognitive behavioral therapy or? Was there something else that, that you were able to find going forward outside of what was admittedly not an ideal sort of treatment strategy? Yeah, I was interested in, in CBT for sure. Um, I'd asked about it and got nothing really in return. Uh, I think that they were more interested in medicating um, as just part of their protocol. So, and I, I, and I think, um, in terms of, so I, I tried to figure out, well, okay, why is that? You know, are they just peddling drugs for the drug companies? Ah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not, whatever. Um, I, I think it's, it's more easily verifiable for them. It's like, oh yeah, we've, we've now, you know, officially treated this patient. We've treated this, you know, and so they can put numbers down like, yeah, we've treated all these people and it's, uh, it's a quicker fix. Yeah. But, you know, for a long time, I was really, I was just really, really, really sad. And uh, I would say it wasn't until just recently, I mean recently, that I really started to get over a lot of that and, and come around and, and start to actually feel better and feel more like myself. Um, you know, I've, I've heard it said that um, sadness is something that we use as a defense to cover over our anger and our pain. Do you think that in some ways that prevailing sense of sadness was a lot of that pain or even anger that that had just been present uh, from your past experiences, uh, your your letdowns, your traumas, and sadness was kind of like the uh, the shield over it. Yeah, it, it could have been. I mean, it was and it was definitely a combination of of anger and sadness. Um, yeah, just the culmination of, of just everything, Spence, you know, it's yeah. like from, from day one when I was a kid, you know, trying to cover up who I was, you know, I was actually a pretty sweet, soft, sensitive kid, you know, and I, I was, I was taught to be an a-hole and, you know, not to blame. This is not, this is definitely not, uh, blaming. Yeah. Anybody. I, mean, I mean, you have, ex- of it. yeah. And so, um, that was survival for me. And I, I felt that I'd spent so much of my life just trying to survive. And now I got to this place where, and you talk about letdown, you know, I'm, I'm an idealist by nature. Like that's my, that's my personality type, whatever that is on the Enneagram or whatever it is, that's, (laughs) I'm an idealist by nature. And so when something lets me down, it, it severely lets me down. And, um, you know, obviously being an idealist to that degree is not healthy because nothing's going to live up to that. The military did not live up anything close to what I expected it and what I wanted. And I expected, you know, to learn how to be a great leader. And, you know, the reality was the most leaders I had were absolute garbage. You know, I've had a couple of good leaders. Um, and, you know, one of them even tried to kill himself. You know, the guy that I was telling you about, um, you know, he was a phenomenal leader. But, you know, even he was so flawed and so broken. Many times those that are good at leading, it's because they also are intimately familiar with the struggle. So there's there's a sense of compassion there, but it's like you can't really put them far up 
above the rest of us because they're just fellow travelers and fellow human beings as well. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. 100%. I, I, I could not agree more. And so, you know, obviously that's the mature, healthy mindset, but I didn't have that going in. You know, I, I, you know, I hope my dad never <laughs> used this. I love my dad. He's one of my best friends, but you know, growing up, he was not a, uh, a leader for me, you know, and it's odd going through life sort of knowing what a leader should be, but not being able to find it anywhere, you know, um, looking for that example, looking for that and not even necessarily looking for perfection, uh, but just looking for someone that even comes close and just not finding it anywhere. Looking uh, for direction, really. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wish somebody would come alongside me and say, hey, man, you ever give any thought to the idea that um, you're actually a lot smarter than you are strong? <laughs> you know, like your, your gifting is not in your physical prowess. And, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're no athlete. You know, you're, you're not a fighter. You're not, you know, but you can do this. You know, your reading comprehension is pretty good. Maybe you could do something with this or that or whatever, you know, focus in on this, you know, and teach me some discipline. I remember uh, your last podcast with Ben. Uh, I was listening in and you asked him what he would, you know, want to impart to his children. And I thought about that. I was like, man, you know, because as you know, my baby's coming June 1st. I got a little girl coming. Yeah, so exciting. Yeah. And, you know, one one thing that May and I talk about is, you know, this idea of teaching a kid and telling them that, them that they can do anything in the world that they want. And while I, you know, for the most part agree with that, you know, <laughs> obviously there are, everybody has their limitations, but, uh, you know. I more than more than that, more than I just want to sit there and tell them that they can do anything. I want to help them find that anything. You know what I mean? I want to come alongside them and say, hey, let's let's find out what you like to do. Let's find out what you're good at. And and just if nothing else, you know, letting them decide ultimately. I'm not trying to make the decision for them, but you know, I, I want to show my daughter, you know, that it's okay to experiment with things and figure things out and that you don't have to fit any one particular mold that either I've set for you or society or your mother or whoever, it doesn't matter. You know, you find what you like to do. You find what you're good at and you work at it and you work hard and you focus and, you know, all the stuff that, you know, I'm, I'm having to learn now, you know, uh, yeah. the MCAT, you know, I, I didn't know how to focus. That's why I dropped out of high school. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah, I, I could test well, but you tell me to sit down and actually get homework done. Yeah. Right, dude. I'm not doing that. I'm going to smoke weed. I'm going to go drink, you know? Yeah. Uh, so you know, fast forward 20 years later and I'm having to learn how to do those things now. And it's, how's that been going? Like the whole, uh, medical pursuit. Um, I, I can't imagine doing anything else. Um, and I'm not for anybody listening. I'm not in med school. I don't practice medicine. Uh, any advice I give, <laughs> yeah, take it with a grain of salt. You're like pre-med basically, right? Pre-med. Yeah. So I, I, I've got my bachelor's degree in biology. Uh, and so I, you know, through that, and I remember actually sitting in, on your couch one day and we were talking about it. Uh, and I think Sosi was sitting there and, um, he asked something like, so what are you doing now? And I initially said, oh yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about going nursing. And that was the next step. I was like, well, huh. why don't I just go be an RN? The Vanguard just opened up a nursing program and you know, Hey, why not? I, you know, I've got a medical background. I can do this. And, um, you know, at, th at this point I, I hadn't really realized my potential yet, um, for school. And, you know, cause I, I wasn't doing great in school cause I mostly was bored and I had no discipline and yeah, you were relearning kind of all those, those skills that are required to, to pursue a traditional education. 
Yeah, absolutely. And so, uh, you know, so I'm sitting in there one day and I'm, you know, we're in the veteran center at Vanguard and we're all talking. And one of my buddies in there was a former special forces guy and him and I, you know, we got pretty close, uh, to this day, uh, good, good friend of mine. And, um, you know, I'm talking about it and he was a special forces medic. And so those guys go through some really intense training and he looks at me, he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, why are you, why are you going to be a nurse? He's like, I, I talk to you all the time. You're, you're not a nurse. I was like, what else am I going to do? You know, I, I, I don't know what else to do. I, I need to, I need to earn a living. I'm married. You know, I got a wife that's going to depend on me pretty soon here. And he's like, no, that's not for you. You're going to hate it. He's like, you, you need to get your biology degree. And you need to, you need to pursue medicine. And with the nursing department just opening up, I'm, I'm pretty much a shoe in to get into the, to the nursing program this next semester, the, the first semester that they would be opening it. And so long story short, um, the door got closed for me and I was like a prime candidate in, in, in every other aspect. You know what I mean? My, in terms of the biology classes that I had taken, I had aced every single one of them and I'd gotten within the top, you know, uh, one or two people in every single one of the classes. And I was taking harder classes in conjunction with each other. I just had this insane drive and I loved it. You know, I just loved every bit of it. Yeah. And so I was going through that and I, I went to the, one of the preliminary meetings and they were just like, uh, yeah, so you, we changed the prereqs. You need, uh, now you need these four classes instead of just three of them. And I raised my hand. I was like, is that set in stone? Or is there any wiggle room there? And they're like, nope, it's set in stone. I was like, okay. I walked out and I was like, I'm going to get my bio degree. And, um, you know, there's, there's a little bit, a little bit more to it than that, but that was kind of the, yeah. of it, you know? And so, yeah, you know, so I, I feel blessed more than anything. Um, you know, I finished up my bio degree. I got to work in a lab that was studying, uh, researching, uh, a vaccine for Alzheimer's disease at UCI. And I got wow. it really good with some of the, the PhDs up there. And I actually just went and hung out with one of them today and we we're just kind of wrapping out and he's going to write me a letter of recommendation. And, you know, I, I just, I, I found a place where I really just enjoyed it because it was a little more matter of fact. So studying for the MCAT is essentially me sitting down and going through um, all the classes I've taken throughout my biology, you know, for the past four years. And so I'm having to, you know, learn them in, in slightly different. Uh, so this is entrance that. into medical school, correct? Yeah. So this is, uh, and it's still not even guaranteed. It's not like a pass fail it's a, you're competing against the rest of the United States or the yep. world for that matter, I guess, if they're trying to get into a U.S. medical school. And, um, yeah, so you're taking this test, you're competing against all these people and you're studying a, a you know, bunch of different topics. One of them even just tests your general reading comprehension. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's based on how you do with that. And then again, it's not a guaranteed entrance. It's that in conjunction with, uh, your GPA, your letters of recommendation, your personal statement, your background, just kind of who you are generally. And then from there, if you're fortunate enough to get uh, interviews, then it's going to be based on that as well. So I, I think start to finish. So when I say start to finish, people that start off pre-med, they, they declare their major as pre-med. From then to um, matriculation is, I think, 2% of people. And then I wow. think people that apply, it's about 40% of people that apply actually get into medical school. So so the people that say they want to do it, the people that get to the point of all the prerequisites, and then the people that actually get in goes yeah. like two percent, yeah, to forty percent. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. yeah. So then the the people that actually apply, you know, from there it's it's forty percent uh, rate for for entrance. So, yeah, man, it's it's a it's a 
It's a gnarly road, but um, I love it. What would you aspire to do with that? Like, what what would be like your end game, like, or just a goal of something that you'd work towards using that as a tool? Yeah. So, um, in in terms of like specialty, um, and and that kind of plays into your question. I want to do something general, and the reason for that is there's a lot more money to be made in other specialties, but I want something that is going to be of the most good to the most amount of people, and so you know, that's, that's the pursuit. Either it's going to be some sort of general, uh, uh, internist or maybe general surgery. Do you aspire to go back to some of those broken places in the world and try to do some good there? 100%. Yeah. I I would actually, the wife and I were talking about this, uh, recently and, and we've been making some investments and, and, you know, if we could at some point, um, I would love to practice for free. And I told that, that, that would be, that would be ideal. For multiple reasons, I, I wouldn't be tied down with a lot of the bureaucratic nonsense. Um, I wouldn't be expected to push drugs that I don't believe in, and then you know I could push those when absolutely necessary. I would I would say. And I, Are you I talking really, like psycho psychotropic medications. Uh, I probably wouldn't be because I, I wouldn't be in psychiatry, so I probably wouldn't be delving into that a whole lot. But you know, even people that uh, type two diabetics and things like that, I I believe firmly, and I think the data indicates this that uh, the vast majority of the time it can be reversed. But most physicians to this day will not entertain that. And I've even talked to my doctor about that just out of curiosity, and you know, he just yeah, no, we just put him on insulin. You know, well, not to get too in the weeds on that, but. If you're talking about using diet to reverse diabetes, that's definitely something that's documented as possible. But also when you talk about the psychology that goes into, you know, eating habits and uh, reward systems in your brain and, you know, uh, just dealing with that, like it's an uphill climb for many folks to actually do such a dramatic change in their diet. So while that is one course, wouldn't you say that the intervention of insulin for somebody that isn't able to necessarily make those drastic of changes that could be helpful? Oh, one, 100%. I would say that people that are even desiring to make those changes to initially start them off on insulin while, while they're struggling through that, you know, um, cause yeah, you're talking about the dopaminergic system and the rules. Oh, it's insane. I mean, they, they've done studies where, uh, getting rats addicted to both sugar and cocaine, I'd have to look it up to be 100% sure. Um, but I'm pretty sure it, it ended up with the rats being, uh, choosing the sugar over the cocaine after having, so you're saying candy bars should be illegal and Scarface did nothing wrong. Right. Basically. Uh, okay. Finally, gotcha. somebody who gets me. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, I, I just think that it, oftentimes, and so this is what ends up happening for hospitalists is that, they just because they have 15 minutes typically scheduled for each patient and they're trying to spend less than that amount of time in there, you know. And so when they start pushing the 15 minute mark, you, you see them start their legs start shaking. They get antsy. They start checking their watch because they got to get on to five more patients. And so it just becomes this plug and chug sort of thing. It's like, OK, we'll take this. OK, we'll take this. And there's no real follow up. And so, you know, that's my hope is to get into a smaller community and really be able to kind of hold people accountable and kind of just be that, that, uh, pardon the, the term, but that kind of ball busting doctor that, you know, is kind of giving them, you know, a hard time and getting to know them and, and holding people accountable. And of course, you're not going to be able to win everybody over in that regard. Of course, some people can be like, shut up and just give me the drugs. I want to go eat my birthday cake, whatever. You know, I get that. And even people, like I said, that are on that journey, you know, you can start them off on a, on a 
course of insulin, you know, for a period of time until they can get things figured out just to kind of get things working, you know? Uh, it sounds like you almost want to be a fusion between a medical doctor and like a therapist or at least like a really good friend. Yeah, I think that's what doctors used to be. Um, at least, again, I'm an idealist, right? So keep that in mind. Yeah. Take it with a grain of salt, guys. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that's what uh, a healer should be, you know, and and every sense of the word, it's like, this is this is a holistic system that we're dealing with. We're not just dealing with one thing. We're not just dealing with the physiology of someone. We are dealing with the psychology of someone. You know, people just need to be told that they can do it oftentimes. Often or people- even when you think about how powerful the mind is. And I was reading some research recently that suggests that the mind is primarily in charge of regulating the physical body. Like that's its, that's one of its primary tasks And so a lot of the emotional, mental, even spiritual elements that go into that are, are a function of how powerful the mind is as a central sort of control center for the physical body. Yeah, 100%. There's actually an interesting story to to back that up. Uh, A physiology professor of mine was telling us about, he had a friend who had this condition that caused his face to just be in extreme pain at all times. Uh, a breeze coming by, a, a, a caress on his face was just excruciating. And so what huh. they did, the only way they could think to fix it was to cut essentially the connection that goes from the the, uh, the pain receptors that ties it in with the limbic system or the um, emotional center of the brain. And so my professor, being this guy's friend, after he had his procedure, asked him, so how do you feel? Did, did it fix it? And he's like, no, I mean, I still feel it. I just don't care. So he's still feeling, you know, it, it's like the shirt on your back. You always can feel, if you, if you think about it, you can always feel the shirt on your back. But if it's not tied to any sort of emotion, uh, like with pain, and, and a lot of people will say the same thing with meditation for women that are giving, like doing natural births without drugs or anything like that it's in a way like this mindfulness meditation where you're, you're literally analyzing the pain in a way that makes it some that you, it brings you outside of the pain. You, you recognize it for what it is and it's nothing more than a signal being sent. And if you can remove motion huh. from it, you can do a lot to, you know, control it and just not really care about it. It's there. You feel it. So, so you're saying if like your femur's broken, you can be like, all right, just focus in on that <laughs> and think about it. That's just that's just some that's just some uh, some electricity, some some impulses being sent to your mind. You don't have to worry about them that much. You can be mindful of them, and just like that, no morphine, nothing. That's You're good. That's literally the only thing I'm. I've been saying this entire time. Yeah. So, okay. I like uh, that. You no, know, but it was there was another thing that happened recently. I, I'm not going to go into it because I don't remember the full story. But there was a monk essentially who had who had mastered this level of meditation where, uh, I mean, he could just block out anything. He could control his heart rate. And so, yeah, you're, could, could he levitate? Uh, I, I don't know if he reached that level or not. Well, um, if he couldn't, he couldn't levitate. I honestly don't really care much about him. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's actually when I stopped reading. That's why I could, yeah. I was, I was like, like, Oh, he couldn't, couldn't even lift a, he couldn't even lift a rock with his mind. This guy's, this guy's a loser. Loser. <laughs> Yeah, that's when I gave up on meditating personally. So, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it, it is interesting, and, and they do play into each other quite a bit. I mean, a lot of even just kind of playing the other side of that, a lot of depression is associated with 
uh, inflammation, systemic inflammation throughout the body. There's inflammatory markers that they find in the blood and they found that they were associated with, right? Correlation does not equal causation. So they were correlated with depression. Um, I don't know that they found the actual causative link, but it's, it seems to be clearer and clearer um, that a lot of depression uh, is, is tied in with inflammation, which is tied in with diet and lifestyle and all sorts of, you know, sleeping habits and all sorts of other things. So, yeah, it's like, it's almost like the body is a holistic system <laughs> and that, and that like, it's all interconnected and there's all these factors that can cause different reactions and consequences. We might just look at things a little bit too, too narrowly in some, in some cases. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We, we definitely get, uh, hyper-focused on, on individual things, which is, yeah, I, we, we see it a lot in our society. We really do. So looking back a little bit through all these various experiences, triumphs, traumas, everything in between, uh, one thing we didn't really talk much about was your, your marriage, your, your wife. Do you feel that you met your wife at a time when you weren't really expecting to meet a wife? Uh, was it, was it something that a lot of these other experiences had prepared you for, or maybe disadvantaged you towards? What do you think about that? Oh yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Yeah. Uh, looking back, man, I mean, it just, it's funny cause certain things happened here and there, you know, I, I had a dog, I think you remember cadence. Yep. Um, and, uh, I eventually had to give her up and that was horribly sad. That was the hardest thing I ever had to do. I remember that. That was brutal. Yeah. I just, even thinking about it makes me sad, but, um, yeah. So, you know, it, it was just kind of some context that, you know, with everything I'd been going through, I got her, you know, <laughs> girlfriend broke up with me. So I got a dog. Right. So, uh, you know, she's great dog. I learned a lot about myself as odd as that is. Cause she was actually really intelligent dog, really hyperactive in some ways. And she'd had like, she was a rescue. So she had all these psychological issues, which you wouldn't expect from a dog, but you don't really get it until you get a dog that's been rescued and abandoned. And so anyway, yep. Um, yeah, man, my dog has severe separation anxiety, by the oh, way. Okay. Yeah. So he's a little rescue dog. He, he, he doesn't like it when I get home and then take out the trash. He's like, but you just got here. You can't leave me again. How dare you? Yeah. <laughs> it's not part of the schedule. Yeah. Yeah. You're just doubling the trauma. But um, yeah. So, you know, I just, <laughs> it's like you take two mentally unfit creatures and put them in a house together. And so, but, um, but yeah, you know, I, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about grace through that. And I learned a lot about, well, but that, that kind of plays into this as well too, because, you know, May's got fairly traumatic past. Um, you know, so, so when we met, it was kind of a cool story, I guess. I, I, I wasn't expecting to go to this Christmas party. Um, I went pretty last minute and, um, I met Malin and her, she's Hispanic and she's got a Oriental, I don't know what a Chinese, I, I don't know. I, I can't remember. I think it's Chinese for, for beautiful flowers, something like that. Anyway. But she's you so know, you don't remember what your wife's name actually means. Uh, I don't think she fully knows, to be honest. <laughs> so, okay. um, her I'll probably Google that later and text you. Yeah, her, yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, 
her mom just kind of picked the name. So it's kind of funny too, because you know her her siblings are uh, Sergio, Jessica, Eric, and then there's Mayling, and that, her name is actually pronounced Mayling. It's M E Y L E N G, but for the sake of everybody's eardrums, we call her Maylin. Um, so it just, it flows a little better, but, uh, but yeah, so I remember the, the first bit of, uh, interaction that we had was, um, she told me her name and I was like, okay, where did that name come from? And <laughs> she laughs like, what do you mean? She's like, I don't know. My mom just named me. She liked the name. I was like, okay, hold on. That, that, that's a, that's a terrible story. Next time we meet, I'm going to ask you where the name came from, and you're going to tell me something along the lines. I don't care. You fill in the gaps, but something along the lines of you were originally from China and you were raised by ninjas and you got brought here and something something to do with there needs to be ninjas in there. Like you got adopted and rescued after your ninja parents died in some secret mission. I don't know. Something cool. And so that was that was the first bit of interaction we had. I was making, and she replied, "That's the sweetest thing I've ever heard." Yeah, you marry I, me. If, if happily if, ever after. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's literally what happened. Yeah, that was the end of it. Um, so yeah, cool podcast. Uh, no, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so that kind of set the tone a little bit. Always well, been a little bit of a jokester, I guess. But yeah, we started talking and got to know each other, and I was pretty much instantly attracted to her. She's a very beautiful woman, and. Fast forward, you know, um, we got married and uh, that, that came with a lot of challenges. Um, yeah. Yeah, a lot. And uh, I blame myself for a lot of it and, you know, rightfully so. Um, you know, I, I have a lot of different, you know, I, I spent a lot of time, a lot of my adult life, at least, you know, up until now, you know, I'm only 35 now, but, you know, up until, you know, five years ago, six years ago, I was out doing my own thing all the time. I answered to nobody, you know, and it was great. Honestly, it was like, I, that's, yeah. you know, my dad's the same way. Um, unfortunately, how do you, how do you reorient yourself after just living by yourself, for yourself, doing your own thing? And now it's like, you're supposed to like restructure your life around considering the needs of another person, like almost all the time. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, it's insane. And especially when it's part of your, your personality type, you know, there are people out there that don't like to be tied down. And, and that's part of the reason that it took me so long to figure out what the heck to do with my life. You know, I'm just now finishing my bachelor's at a, at a 35 year old. Uh, it's almost embarrassing to say it out loud, but you know, it's like, it took me so long to figure it out because I, it's, you know, I, I could pick things up fairly quickly but I always got bored of them super quick too. And so I would just move on and I just ended up becoming like this jack of all trades sort of guy. And I was never really good at anything. And, and, but that was just my person. I just once wanted to be constantly stimulated with new. You're, th- you're pretty good at grilling carne asada for the record. Oh, you haven't had my prime yet. Prime rib yet. Um, uh, <laughs> love that. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so yeah. So, you know, you take that and then you take the 30 some odd years of, you know, doing nothing but feeding into that right that that little personality quirk whatever that personality trait uh however good or bad i've done nothing but feed into that you know and and build that up and strengthen that so then you take me out of that and put me into a position where i am tied down in the most extreme way possible you know and now i got to start figuring out a career where i'm going to be tied down i'm tied to a wife and it's just like it sounds great and it is in so many ways, but it's challenging, man. And, 
you know, I come from a family of divorce, uh, multiple. Mm. My dad, you know, my dad's been through three of them. Uh, my mom's been through. That's it. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I'm just kidding. I was barely no. American <laughs> at this point. <laughs> I actually had a professor tell me that he's like, I don't even consider people Americans until they've had at least two divorces. I'm like, wow. Okay. You know what? Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, he's technically not wrong. So, but yeah, so things have gotten a lot better more recently, but it was a long, hard road, man. And I mean, until I started really figuring out, and I remember Ben was talking about doing counseling and, and things like that. And he's a pretty big advocate of that. And I think it was really cool. And also good friends, right? They kind of call you out on it and model stuff for you. Yeah. Well, that's, that was also going to be the other uh, thing I was going to talk about too, was just, you know, what, what gets you out of that? Well, learning about yourself, you know, taking things like the Enneagram and um, kind of figuring out your personality traits and it, not that that's necessary, but you start to kind of certain things start to make sense. Originally came out with a type eight and anybody who knows the Enneagram knows that type eights are, well, they're, they're definitely type eights and they're pretty notorious for being exactly that. And what's the, uh, uh, what's the, the summary of a type eight? The challenger. <laughs> so mm, okay. type eight is, is hard. Yeah. He's, he's hard headed. The kind of guy, the, the kind of guy that goes out looking for a fight in the desert. Yeah, basically. So yeah. Uh, very, very opinionated. Uh, and it's not the only one that's opinionated because I'm definitely opinionated. I actually don't think I'm a type eight though. I think that, that given everything that I was aspiring to before, the model that fit that the best, you know what I mean? The special forces sort of tough guy sort of thing. This, those are all type eights. Those guys are all eights. Well, not all of them, but a lot of them are eights. You know, that alpha mentality that, you know, striving for. I, I wanted to, I wanted to be that. And so that came out in the test, you know, given enough, enough time. And, and well, yeah, when you're self-reporting and now you're just talking about like what you aspire towards or like what you think you really want. Then, right. Yeah. Right. And yeah, exactly. And so you're, you're answering the questions based on the ideal, right? Not, not 100%, but like what you think should be. And so that's why you're supposed to answer it a little more honestly. I, I answered more towards what I thought should be in the ideal mindset for myself. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I ended up with the type eight and so, okay, whatever. That makes sense, I guess. But I'm, I'm getting ready to take it again, but more and more I'm, I'm starting to realize I'm definitely not definitely much more of like the dreamer sort of, you know, can't, pin down one thing to do with their life and gets distracted easily and jumps around. And so that's more like the type seven. So, you know, but yeah, going through that, you start to figure certain things out and, and, and recognizing the seven in myself, I guess, um, not to be so dogmatic about the, the types, but, um, you know, recognizing those different traits in myself, starting to realize, okay, yeah, this, this makes sense for why I feel trapped, you know, that, and that was, if I could, describe the marriage as anything initially as I felt trapped and man that's it I remember like you know early on I, I remember laying in bed being depressed and that's a horrible thing to say out loud <laughs> it really is <laughs> I feel terrible even saying that but it's just I have so to you had like the the reverse of a honeymoon phase you had I, like you had like a, you had like a horror phase you're like oh my gosh like I, I, this is my life now yeah what 100 because yeah. I just I I loved you know one of my favorite things about the army was traveling i loved it i i i love the smell of an airport i love the feel of an airport mm. because you're surrounded by people you don't know everything's new everything's fresh everything's different i would go unless it's lax and then it sucks but lax is gone yeah. yeah so i'm i'm talking more like dfw but uh yeah yeah, yeah. 
But yeah, I mean, I would I would go into the bars and you know not get like hammered or anything, but I would have a drink and I would meet people. Hey, what are you doing? Oh, cool. And you know, it wasn't like a hookup thing. It was like I was just meeting new people, guys, girls, didn't matter. And I just I got to know people over a meal and a beer, you know. And then sometimes it would carry over onto the plane, and you know, we'd keep sharing conversation and drinks and just hang out and yeah. And then you go on your way, and that's it. You know, you get to meet a new person, and it was just something so fun and exciting about that. And yeah you know, getting into a new city that you've never been in before. I mean, you know, we just recently moved to RSM and the first thing I did was I got in my truck for, you know, a couple of weeks. That's uh, Rancho Santa Margarita, I believe. Yes. For the, is, the people that aren't, aren't around here. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. So, uh, so <laughs> RSM. Yeah. Is that like REI or? Like... <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Although, yeah, I, I, the, the, my first time in REI was very similar to what I'm about to say, but I literally would just get in my truck and I would, I just drove around for a couple of weeks. You know what I mean? Anytime I had free time, I would just go explore and in nothing in my heart feels better. I mean, that just, it's this adventure in me. And so, you know, well, there's something really admirable about curiosity yeah, and, and seeking out, you know, conversation and being kind to people like something real good about that. It's fun and it's enjoyable. Yeah. And it's, you, you, you gain from it and you get to give and it's just, yeah. It, and it's exciting. Yeah. I'm not going to act like it, it was this selfless thing that I did. It was exciting, you know, and um, especially growing up as kind of an awkward kid that didn't have a ton of friends. I had some friends and there's years I was more popular than others, but there's a lot of years I was a dweeb. I didn't have a huge amount of friends and to be able to go out and just, just to talk to real people and, and it wasn't based on popularity and it wasn't based on all the high school nonsense or any of that, you know, it was, yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. So anyway, I'm probably jumping on that a little too much, but, um, you know, that was that, that just kind of gives a window into like what my heart desired, what I love to do. And then all of a sudden I was trapped, you know? And so, uh, you know, now of course things have changed and we're expecting our first child and, um, man, I just, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be anywhere else. I, I wouldn't want to be anywhere. And, and, and I, I needed to experience that pain that I experienced initially. Um, for, for so many reasons, you know, it, it's something that needed to be analyzed. It's something that needed to be understood about myself and, um, you know, it helped me kind of break a lot of molds that, that I had initially and break a lot of bad habits. And, you know, I'm still working on a lot of it. Um, I still get antsy, you know, I still get agitated and want to move and do things. And, but, um, I, I that's going to be an asset even as a father, you know, like you'll be able to like take your kid to awesome places and experience, let them experience and discover the world with you. Yeah, absolutely. And I can't wait. Honestly, I can't wait, man. I, I can't even tell you, uh, the the amount of joy that's that's come from this and i know that kids don't fix everything if anything but uh when things have gotten better and you bring a kid into that it just it amplifies all the joy and all the good and um yeah i'm i'm excited man so yeah for for marriage it's been tough me and i both have really hard paths that we've brought into this marriage and are still working on to this day but you know through some counseling and and friends and even, even people I don't open up to, but people that, that, you know, conversations that you and I have, even though it has, it may have nothing to do with my marriage, I walk away from it motivated to, to do the right thing and to be a better husband. And if, if there was, if there was one theme through all of this has been examples in my life, you know, people that I can look to, to some degree as, as a model that can 
you know, help point me in the direction I need to go. And you've obviously been a big part of that. We've been hanging out for a long time now, uh, getting coffee and going on hikes. And there's been a lot of good people. And that's been the most important thing. The best thing that I've done uh, ever is surround myself with people that are better than me, smarter than me. Wiser than <laughs> oh, me, man. You know? and Dude. <laughs> it's not hard to do. Uh, <laughs> no, no. Like, here's the thing. It, it's a two-way street. Uh, just to yeah, cut you off a little bit there, because I would say that I had a lot of really good theories um, at the time when we met that got absolutely obliterated and destroyed by reality as time went on. And I would say that I, I learned a lot from you as well. Um, just in, just in the very context of like, dude, like you were like from the military. Right. And I would have never been in the military cause I wasn't even willing to like cut my hair until I was like 23, <laughs> 24 years old. Right. Um, like there's just no way, like there's no way I'm, I'm listening to orders that I'm going here or there. Like I was just doing my own thing, marching to the beat of my own drum. And there was no way to stop that. Like I would just. I was going in the lake or I was going to jail before you were going to tell me what to do. So it was one of those things where it's like coming from that and then you just having like this really sort of authentic and earnest desire towards finding, you know, finding healing, finding positive uh, situations, finding positive relationships, finding growth, all that stuff. I'm just sitting there, you know, sitting back from the world, kind of overanalyzing everything or sort of trying to throw out my theories in the absence of real experiences. And here's a guy that, you know, survived war that's now like walking through nature, you know, talking about, you know, finding something beautiful again. And I was just like, it, it kind of blew my mind a little bit, but it was definitely a two wor- two two way street in terms of us being able to learn from each other. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I do know what you mean. And, and I do appreciate that. I really do. Um, yeah, I just, it, it means a lot because I, I do really hold you in, in very high regard. Um, so, yeah, that, that <laughs> yeah, it's humbling. But yeah, man, so, so you get it. You know, it's, it's surrounding yourself with, with we'll, we'll put it this way, surrounding yourself with, with, generally like-minded people that that still think very differently from you you know what i mean like people that that aspire to similar things well Uh, if you all aspire towards hope and if you all if you all aspire towards living a life that that means something in the end and building something better than the wreckage of your past then it doesn't really matter how much how much disagreement you have or how much difference in, in spe- specific little perspectives and stuff. That is something that you can just grow in and, and engage in and live real life with. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. That's yeah. Perfectly said. So, yeah. So that's, I mean, man, anybody listening to this, if anybody's, I, I don't know, it's been so long since I've talked about any of this stuff and I don't know who, is touched by stories like this or if anybody if it's really even as deep as what i think it is or whatever i don't know if if there's one encouragement i can give you is is you know figure out the 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 form that you're going for right if it's hope 
um, hopefully it's all wrapped up in that, but, and, and just surround yourself with people that are striving for the same thing. Cause that's, that's going to be your lifeline nine times out of 10. I mean, there are times that I go it alone and it is beneficial. You know, I'm, I definitely need my alone time. Um, I'm probably going to take a, well, it's getting late, but <laughs> talking this much is going to make me crash later. But, um, so I, I get that, but man, there's, there's no real substitute in my mind for real community and, and be selective, you know, be selective with, with those that you let in and out, um, of your life. Uh, cause good friends can, can, can build you up and also just completely crush you, uh, if they're not the right friends, you know? So I've had a combination of both and thankfully I've been able to, uh, throughout life, I think that's one thing with marriage and, uh, I think you made a comment about that, uh, on my wedding day when you gave a speech, but, uh, <laughs> you essentially said something along the lines of, uh, yeah, you, you saw me less and, you know, so getting married, um, you know, you, you start to see even your close friends less and less, but then that means the people that aren't real close, you know, they, they tend to just kind of fall away. Um, oh, I thought you meant the time that I said that the only thing bigger than your heart was your ears. <laughs> <laughs> that was a hit, but you know what's funny? Oh, it was a hit. It was a major hit. It's the funniest <laughs> thing about that is that when I'm when I'm talking about you uh, to people that were at the wedding, I'm like, yeah, oh, he was one of my groomsmen, and they're like, oh, which one? I was like, the tall guy. Uh, which one? Uh, the one that made the ear joke. Oh, yeah, that guy. He's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, nobody can remember the song that we danced to or anything other than the ear joke. So, man, uh, that stinks. Sorry about that. No, it's honestly, I love it. It was, it was great. I died, especially some of, uh, some of my military buddies were there. So obviously, um, they saw me with shorter hair, Spencer. So yeah, yeah. imagine, imagine my head pretty much almost shaved. Yeah. So pretty much take flight with these guys, but, uh, yeah. So fun. You're probably a good listener too. So, yeah. Uh, you would think so, but yeah, for the longest time, definitely not, but <laughs> yeah, you have the tools at least you just had to figure out how to use them. Yeah. Jack of all trades. I, I had not mastered that skill skill set yet. So, but yeah, man, um, uh, my wife, uh, has been loving and kind and supportive when I haven't been, um, when I've been arrogant and wanted my own way, I could not ask for a, uh, a better person to do life with and, and to raise children with. So this will be the, the last question that I have for you. I do ask this one to people a lot because I could probably write, you know, a small book with all the things that I would go back and tell myself, what would I, what would I tell 10 year old Spencer? What would I tell 15 year old Spencer? What would I tell 20 year old Spencer? Yeah. So you can pick at any point in time, but what, what would you go back now from this mode of life, this perspective, what would you go back and tell your yourself 10, 15, 20 years ago? I, I would, I would encourage myself. I would go back to myself and, and I'm not even sure what age, probably whenever I started trying to be like my older brother. Yeah. And just, you know, in, in, or, or when I just started feeling insecure about who I was and, and for what, whatever it was and just go back and just tell myself, you can do this. 
You don't, you don't have to go down this route. You don't have to be like him. You don't have to be like him. You can do this. You're capable of becoming this when you get older. And, and not that, you know, career is the main aspiration, but to do something other than what so many do, you know. You're capable of doing something that meshes with your personality or your personality type or your strengths. You can, you can do something that fits with you instead of constantly trying to cramming yourself into some sort of arbitrary mold. 100%. That's, yeah. That's exactly it. I would do exactly that. And I hear that. Yeah. It's good advice. Yeah. Thanks for taking some of your uh, valuable time to sharing your experiences, your perspective, maybe digging up some stuff that probably to this day isn't easy to talk about, but also, you know, uh, verbalizing a message of hope that I think a lot of people can resonate with or a lot of people can just on some level be encouraged by. Yeah, I, I hope so. And if you are where I was, and knowing that you can do more, that at least that you want to do more, you you are capable and you can do it. And it just requires hard work and faith and courage. And it's it's scary as heck. But um, I say go for it. You know, you, what else you got to lose? Just go for it. Awesome. Well, once again, thanks so much for coming on. I, I definitely feel encouraged uh, just hearing some of those details fleshed out a little bit more or even some of the growth and development that's gone on in the in the more recent days and months and years all right man take care you too thank you for spending some of your valuable time listening to create connect cast if you'd like to reach out feel free to email create connect cast at gmail.com and i hope that we can communicate again soon